Arresting the Shadows, Part 2. Exploring the culture, the adventure, and the impact of martial arts. That's what Kung Fu Podcast is all about, and I'm your host, T.W. Smith. I greatly appreciate you joining me in this episode where we're following up in Part 1 of Arresting the Shadows. We're taking one passage out of Miyamoto Musashi's book of Five Rings and looking at it from three different perspectives. In the first part, we looked at it from the perspective of a scholar where we applied certain questions and looked to see what kind of information could be fleshed out from that sort of approach. If this is your first time here to Kung Fu Podcast, welcome. I hope that you'll find some of the information I share to be entertaining, educational, and in some shape, form, or fashion, applicable to your reason for being in the martial arts. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at it from the perspective of a warrior and the perspective of a monk. You don't have to worry about taking too many notes during these two podcasts because I created a summary sheet with the highlights of which when you read it as a scholar, read it as a warrior, and read it as a monk. The catalyst for these episodes goes to agent of action Kai Morgan. You can find her work at budoenochi.com. That's budo-enochi.com. Or easy enough, go to kungfupodcast.com forward slash Kai, and it'll take you right to her website. So let's get settled in and start our work to arresting the shadows. Reading the Arresting Shadows passage as a warrior. So what does this evocative metaphor mean in more practical martial terms? You could probably explore this forever, but here are a few possible examples that Kai offers. One possibility is to change your opponent's mind through relentless physical attack. Friend of the program, Roy Miller, writes, In my style, we emphasize getting and maintaining the initiative taking the fight to the threat. The Japanese phrase for this constant assault tactic is leaving no space for death to enter. Lauren Christensen has phrased it as elegantly as possible. Quote, There are so many beats in a fight. I want those beats filled up with my stuff. An overwhelming attack is a very, very reliable way to take out a threat. You take up all the time, leaving none for him, quote. And that's out of the Meditations on Violence, page 48. Jack Slack notes that this is a constant theme in Musashi's teaching, who was a major proponent for staying on offense rather than fighting on the counter. Jack invokes Musashi's teaching of pressing down the pillow to take the initiative. When he is going to strike, before the word strike could even be pronounced, be intent on suppressing him and prohibit the rest of his action. Sustain your action over your opponent so that anything he does comes to nothing. Thus, you will be forged in the martial arts. And as Jack often does, he goes on to show you a real example of that in an MMA match and how it plays out to one of them being choked out within 30 seconds. Kai continues by writing that another physical martial interpretation of arresting shadows 
could be to enter your opponent's space and restrain their movement in some way. For example, in The Tao of Self-Defense by Scott Shaw, he interprets arresting shadows as follows. Watch your opponent. Study your opponent. Observe who he is. With this style of initial self-defense, you will be able to launch an attack before your adversary has the ability to unleash his full frontal assault. Sean relates this to a concrete technique. If you control your opponent's elbow, you virtually control his entire range of motion. And then he goes on to give you detailed instructions on how to do this. Another example of an interpreter as a warrior is changing your opponent's mind in several ways all at once. Kai writes that according to Wikipedia, Sasaki Kojiro was a longtime rival of Miyamoto Musashi and is considered the most challenging opponent Miyamoto ever faced. According to the legend, Miyamoto arrived more than three hours late and goaded Sasaki by taunting him. Sasaki came close to victory several times until, supposedly blinded by the sunset behind Miyamoto, Miyamoto struck him on the skull with his oversized wooden sword. Miyamoto had been late for the duel on purpose in order to psychologically unnerve his opponent, a tactic he used on previous occasions, such as during his series of duels with the Yoshioka swordsman. Another version of the legend recounts that when Miyamoto finally arrived, Sasaki shouted insults at him, but Miyamoto just smiled, which just angered Sasaki even further, and Sasaki leapt into combat, blinded by rage. And the third perspective that we're going to look at is reading Arresting the Shadows as a monk. So we've looked at how arresting shadows might be used by the warrior to destroy an enemy. But what if someone is following the path of a monk? Boyer Lafayette de Mente explains that the Book of Five Rings contains fundamental wisdom that can be applied in constructive as well as destructive ways. If you read Masashi's text again, you'll see that it's about being victorious against someone else's aggression but it doesn't actually mention killing or injuring the other person anywhere. If you demonstrate strongly to opponents how you control the advantage, they will change their minds, inhibited by this strength. Well, Kai writes that this text is open-ended and ethically neutral. You could use this principle to fend off an attacker or to manipulate and kill an innocent victim or to lovingly stop a small child from misbehaving, or to get your boss to give in on something. There are many, many ways to use that particular principle. It is also very useful for those who aspire to overcome aggression without harming the other person. When people talk of Aikido conflict resolution, they often think of softness, of yielding, and giving in to get your way. But in some context, it can be helpful to use hard power to demonstrate how you control the advantage and overcome someone in a strong, compassionate, protective way. We use arresting shadows in a kind and centered way with children all the time. 
to distract or detour them from misbehaving. Indeed, in the foreword to Quentin Cook's book, A Way to Reconcile the World, Robert Frazier writes, quote, I asked Sensei, what is the correct attitude of our training partners in Aikido? And he smiles, then replies, It is like a parent to a child. You lead your training partners with the expectation that they will follow you. End quote. In another example, law enforcement officers also use this principle. Police officer and karateka George J. Thompson told this story once. A man is holding hostages, and he tells me, I want a million dollars and an airplane. And I said, so do I. (laughs) And in fact, sir, we'd both like these things, wouldn't we? But that's not going to happen. The people surrounding the house, sir, they're the SWAT team, and they want to kill you. Lest you and I work together. I'll see what I can do about getting you out of here alive and not in such deep trouble. The man worked with me. The passage also leads to the possibility that you can use your own anger and aggression harshly to demonstrate your advantage to overcome someone else's aggression. A mesmerizing example is found in the book, The Small Woman, the true story of Gladys Allward. It inspired the 1958 movie, The End of the Sixth Happiness. Gladys is a British missionary living in China who is gaining a reputation with the local community as one who cares about the people and has the power to make a difference. Well, A riot breaks out in the prison, and it can't be quelled. The local administrative office summons Gladys to see what she can do. Gladys is pushed into the prison courtyard, abandoned by the officials who were too scared to go in there with her. She sees blood and fighting everywhere, and there are several dead bodies already stretched out on the flagstones. There is a madman with an axe halted only a few feet away from her. Without any instinctive plan and hardly realizing what she was doing, she took two angry steps towards him and says, Give me that chopper. Give it to me at once. Well, the man took a look at her, and for three long seconds, the wild, dark pupils staring from the bloodshot eyes glared at her. He took two paces forward, and then suddenly... Meekly, he held out the axe. Gladys snatched the weapon from his hand and held it rigidly down by her side. She was very conscious that there was blood on the blade and that it was going to stain her trousers. The other convicts, roughly 50 to 60 men, stared from every corner of the courtyard. All action was frozen in one moment of that intense drama. Gladys knew that she must clench her psychological advantage, and she screamed at them like some undersized, infuriated sergeant major. All of you, come over here. Come on, form into a line. Get into a line at once. You, over there, come on, form up here in a line in front of me. And obediently, the convict shambled across, forming into a ragged group before her. 
There was silence, and then suddenly her fear had gone. In its place was an immense, soul-searing pity that led the tears into her eyes. Again, that was based on the true story of Gladys Allward, which inspired the 1958 movie, The End of the Sixth Happiness. Now, we may not associate such overt aggression with the figure of the monk, but Gladys was a devout, nun-like woman, seeking to spread peace. In this case, she did enormous good restoring peace and going on to ensure substantial reform of the prison's conditions. So reading this text as a monk gives us at least two possibilities for resting shadows with a protective spirit dependent upon the situation. One approach is calm, good-natured, and even friendly. The other is aggressive, if that's what the situation calls for. So in conclusion, we've looked at three different ways of approaching this tiny fragment in the Book of Five Rings. Even just one of these lenses could be of a great help in enabling us to access the text. However, if we used it in an integrative way, blending the warrior, the scholar, and the monk's viewpoints when it's appropriate, then it would open up an unprecedented rich balance of yin and yang perspective of the text. There are many aspects of the passage that Kai states she didn't even touch on here. For example, Musashi's advice to change your attitude to, to an empty mind from which you take the initiative and seize the victory, and as well as his idea of using advantageous rhythm. The potential for study within just this one tiny fragment of text seems endless. Overall, this is a brilliant framework for studying a text and one that Kai says she definitely intends to use again. Well, you can see why I follow Kai and stay in touch with her. This was an excellent essay that I just thought it would be great to share with you. Now, briefly, to Masashi's advice on changing your attitude and advantageous rhythm, usually I explain this concept first is not necessarily as an empty mind, because some folks will directly interpret this like a blank mind, as if there was a hole there or something. Well, even a hole is something, and that is not the state of mind that I interpret Masashi's advice comes from. Rather, I interpret it as a state of full awareness without a predetermined path, which makes all paths possible. Metaphorically, I describe it as the crane that stands in the quiet pond. He has worked actively, positioned himself, and now turns on all of his senses to full awareness for the opportunity and to seize it without hesitation when it appears. To the outsider, the crane looks like it's blank, almost napping. But internally, just the opposite is true. From a martial perspective, if your style has something like sticky hands, push hands, or even grappling, you can feel when your opponent is preparing to move. When you get really good with it, when you feel their intention to push or to move begin, push against it strongly, but just briefly, and immediately it'll create a mental and physical space that they'll push back against and they will fall into emptiness. In the Chinese martial arts, we call this trapping your enemy between the yin and the yang. It applies to grappling, boxing, and in many other places such as emotional, or behavioral encounters. I hope you enjoyed part two 
of a rest in the shadows. Exploring the culture, the adventure, and the impact of martial arts. I really did enjoy this particular essay and sharing it with you in a way that I hope that you could take it, apply it towards something that you might be able to use in your future training. Remember that I created you a summary sheet that you can download when you go to the page kungfupodcast.com forward slash arrest the shadows and the other links should be in your show notes and on the webpage. One of my goals for 2018 is to get out a little bit more, to do some seminars around the country, to share the theories of the Chinese martial arts as they apply to many of the things that we discuss in this particular program. There are a number of different ways that we can practice and train our martial arts and use them to further our lives and to protect the people that we care about. Have a great practice. I look forward to hearing from you, and I'll be talking with you again soon.